Man, this sermon this morning has been burning in my heart for months, and I don't know the last time I've been so sure of what God wants for us today. I want you to turn with me to Genesis 19. Genesis 19. And I will say, several asked how camp went. It wasn't just camp. It was camp meeting. Uh, it was probably the most spiritual youth camp I've ever been a part of, and I've been to a lot of them. Uh, we always talk about, you know, the, the blubber fest that happens usually one night, and everybody cries, and everybody hugs, and everything. We didn't have that. Uh, we, there were moments of it, but the thing was, it was not this uh, emotional roller coaster. It was just a very spiritual, uh, God-honoring time through the music, through the message, through the missions, everything we did, uh, everything I saw. And I'm going to tell you, church, I've never been prouder than a group of young people. Not one, I mean, we saw pro- Here, Here's one day. I told Ryan one day, I said, I'm glad I'm not with that group. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I just passed and the adults... We're backbiting one another and not to each other's face. It was one group over here talking about this group over here, and it was all this back and forth, back and forth. I want to tell you, your, your youth, Eastside's youth sets the standard, not just in, in, in being right. And I'm bragging on y'all today. You know I'll get on you if you do wrong. But one day, one of our, I think it was Andrew, had walked up, to the food we were in the cafeteria and it's kind of like a food court and you have different choices you can have pizza or hamburgers or pizza or hamburgers then they'd have one other thing but uh we uh we patterned our own east side frappuccino we learned how to make them and uh we had even the people who worked in the cafeteria said what are y'all making and they were like oh i gotta start doing that and then one guy, uh, one of the chefs asked Andrew, said, why does everybody walk around checking their pulse? Well, there's the dark game. And everyone else didn't understand all of it. But by the end of the week, there were youth pastors and youth workers and kids just laid all over the floor in the cafeteria, uh, on the sidewalk. And finally, somebody rushed up to one and says, are you all right? And they said, oh, yeah, I've just been shot with a dart. And they're like, what? And, and they'll fake like they're blowing a dart, and you've got to keep it covered up, or you have to fall wherever. Well, before we left, everybody in the whole place is doing what our youth were doing. You say, well, that's just a game. Yes, but it was a game and good fun. It was a clean game. But the thing, everywhere they went, everything they did, they set the standard. We didn't hear people coming back and said, oh, your youth is up too late, and your youth is doing this, and your youth is doing that. Uh, they were leading, and I thank God for them, and uh, it's a reflection on you. And yes, deacons, uh, we had 32. Now, uh, Delisha, you probably remember better than anybody, it's a 32-passenger bus. And we packed all of our luggage and 32 people on that thing. Man, the air blows cold, Uh, uh, the radio works good, and it was such a blessing for all of us to be able to be in one vehicle going to one place 
And every time I'd walk out and see that thing, John, I'd say, wow, that's nice. Oh, that's ours. And it was such a blessing. It made things so wonderful. Thank you, church, for your obedience and what it's doing. I told a lot of our senior adults Wednesday night, you ought to be jealous and you ought to be planning. Uh, and let's take a trip. And uh, that's the good thing about being in your 50s. I can wear blue jeans on Sunday and uh, my youth camp shirt. And I can wear blue jeans on Tuesday and go somewhere with a senior adult. So uh, we're looking forward to other things. Genesis 19. Genesis 19. I want you to think about these questions and statements I'm about to make. Who are you to judge? I was made this way. Gender is just a title that society has placed on us. It's my life, my body, and my decision. Does that sound familiar? Actually, these same statements were being uttered over 4,000 years ago. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Church sin has not changed. God's holiness has not changed. Disobedience is still robbing people of purpose and true liberty in Christ. Job, much like the church today, was trying to live on the fence you know one foot in one foot out one foot in the world one foot in the church today we must ask ourselves am i living in a miserable contentment well that's just the way it is that's the world around us we we've got to adapt and we've got to We've got to meet the culture. I'm going to tell you something. We've got to reach the culture, but we don't have to adjust to the culture. We are being attacked at every corner. Now, those first phrases I read sound, sounded much like today, didn't it? It's what we're facing on the job. It's what we're facing in the public arena. It's what we're facing in our schools and on the ball field and in our colleges and uh, everywhere we go, in our families, everywhere, we're hearing these same statements. Who are you to judge me? I was made this way. Gender is just a title. It's my life, my body, my decision. But here in Genesis, we see the exact same thing going on. And we find a man by the name of Job who is living a very miserable contentment. Are you satisfied that this is as good as it's going to get? Are we satisfied that we're doing everything God wants us to do or we're just satisfied with, I'm going to heaven that everything else is on the world. It's on them. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said this. And listen to this. For our titanic purposes of faith and revolution, what we need is not the old acceptance of the world as a compromise, but some way in which we can heartily hate it and heartily love it. 
We do not want joy and anger to neutralize each other and produce a surly contentment. We want a fiercer delight and a fiercer discontentment. We have to fill the universe at once as an ogre's castle to be stormed and yet as our own cottage to which we can return at evening. What is he saying? He's saying that being in the world, we ought to hate the things that are killing people. We ought to hate the sin that does so abound in this world. And we ought to embrace the grace which so much more abounds. That we ought to love our community, yet hate the sin that is so prevalent in it. We ought to love our family, yet hate the sin that destroys it. We must get tired of living a miserable contentment. We have gone to sleep and are at ease in Zion. We have hung our harps on the willows and our song does not rise before God anymore. We say that there is no room for religion outside these doors and we've bought into a lie, church. We have bought in and thank God there are denominations and others who are standing up to their leadership saying, we will not change what we stand on because you say the culture has changed. My friends, God's word is just as real as it always has been. Amen? I mean, listen, I'm not preaching anything new today. That has not been preached for thousands of years. But understand they killed the prophets for it. They killed the apostles for it. And if I remember correctly, they killed the Savior for it. But he willingly died. As Philip said, God created it perfect. We messed it up, but Christ came to redeem it. We must embrace being willing to get outside of our contentment, our comfort zones. Stop being satisfied with the world. You see, Lot, he was content. He was satisfied. It said in verse 24, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city. And that which grew upon the ground. Make no mistake about it, church. Look at me and listen to me for just a second. Before I go any further, I want you to hear these words. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For what you sow, you shall also reap. What does that even mean? We cannot continue to live in our miserable contentment and think God will turn aside. We cannot expect God to ignore the sin that has become so prevalent. Listen, I'm not aiming at the world today. I want us to hear as believers and maybe non-believers who have convinced themselves sitting here today that going to church makes you all right, that being part of a Christian family makes you all right, that being baptized somehow makes you all right, or doing some kind of religious liturgy, being in some kind of religious polity will make you right. I'm here to tell you today, you will die lost in your miserable contentment 
If we do not seek God, I want us to see. Turn over in Genesis 13. Genesis 13. And as you turn, notice Lot was content. He was satisfied with a compromised faith. Now I know it's not the usual thing to see me in blue jeans on a Sunday morning. And it's a pretty rare deal. Matter of fact, I think my whole family stood back waiting just to see. They couldn't wait to get up this morning to see if I'd actually do it. Ryan, it took him 10, 15 minutes to breathe again when he saw I actually did it. Rest assured, I'll be back to the suits probably next week. But you know what? I'm not going to go to hell for it. I'm not. I'm not even out of the will of God for it. The point is, here today, there's some things we read just a few weeks ago that we strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. We get focused on the minors and we minor on the majors. The problem was Lot compromised his faith. What is the faith? What is that? It is our absolute, where the rubber meets the road, relationship of understanding who God is and who we are in light of it. And placing Our trust, our hope. But listen, whether you believe in him or not does not change the faith. God is still God whether you live for him or not. He's God. But Job, I mean Lot, Lot compromised the faith. Look in chapter 13, verse 1. And Abram went up. Listen, this is so old, he wasn't even Abraham yet. Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that they had, and Lot went with him into the south. All right, good start. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Anybody know what Bethel means? The house of God. Pam, you're amazing. Unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Over and over in Abram's life, even when he became Abraham, even more so. Over and over and over when Abraham met with God, when he experienced God's goodness, when he experienced God's greatness, whether it was in Genesis 12, when God gave him the Abrahamic covenant that we are blessed in today. Whether it was taking his son of promise up on the mountain, wherever he met with God, what did he do? He built an altar, a place of reflection, a place of surrender, a place he would lay his face before God. May I tell you today, it does not ever record Lot building an altar. Church, we become calloused in our heart and become soft on our knees. In the old days, our hearts were soft and our knees were calloused. And yet we have reversed it. We're not willing to pray anymore. 
When's the last time you met with God? Oh, we are so busy. God does something and we, we say, oh yeah, praise God. We keep moving and we're right back to our miserable contentment. Lot compromised the faith in that he had no altar. Abraham prayed while Lot perused. Lot looked around. Lot was busy doing everything else. Can I tell you, church, and I mean no disrespect toward anybody, but it drives me insane. If there's anything that you can do that will destroy the moving of the Spirit of God is get up and leave while God is drawing in an invitation. If you need to leave, leave before the invitation. Or wait till afterwards. Somebody sitting beside you may not have the same relationship to God as you do. And we must not interfere. We must not. Listen, I'm distracted. I can't sit in the back. Everything distracts me. I have to sit on the front if I'm listening. That's why I say God called me to preach because he knew I wouldn't sit and listen. So when I'm sitting in my office, I got to listen. And you know what? Sometimes I get up and walk out on God. Sometimes I need to sit at my desk a little longer. Sometimes I need to get up out of my chair and get on the floor. Abraham built an altar. Whereas Lot just looked around and perused the world and said, Oh, man, look where we've come. Look what we're doing. Abraham went to the house of God, Lot went into the world. He compromised the faith. He had a wrong priority. You know, when we neglect the altar and our faith becomes compromised, our priorities become askew. Things, man, things. Look in verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abraham, or Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. It amazes me sometimes. We stand around and we compare to see who's busier. And, And we make a muscle. So how's your way? Oh, man, I was just covered up. Really? What'd you do? Oh, oh, yeah, I understand. I had that and and this. Oh, well, I forgot to tell you about I did this too and this too. And we've crammed everything in and we brag about all the busyness of our life. was the last time someone said, how was your week, man? I'm going to tell you, I had one of the most real experiences of prayer with the Lord this week. I got so overwhelmed, I just went in and shut myself up. God just really spoke to my heart, just a, just a sweet spirit of fellowship with the Lord. We've gotten our priorities out of order, and it's all about things. What can we accumulate in this world? As I said the other day, we, we cast our eyes upon the, the poor and needy of Haiti. And people said, oh, how blessed we are in America. And as I said before, I don't know that that's necessarily a blessing. That everything is at our fingertips. I'll be honest with you. I love having a smartphone that I can look up anything I want to in a matter of seconds. But can I tell you, in eight days, it was nice not being tied to one. It was nice not having a TV. It was nice not being entrapped by all the things the world 
was throwing at us. Listen, even Lot's men wanted to fight over things. Abram Abram and Lot's men, their herdsmen, all this land. Now God's already promised. God's already directing. God's already guiding. He's blessed them beyond measure. And all they can think to do is fight over what they do have. Parents, you understand that, don't you? If you've got more than one child, you understand that. Because, listen, kids are born in the flesh. I love my two brothers, but I'm going to tell you, it's a wonder somebody didn't go to prison for murder. I remember chasing Art through the front yard with a brick, and I was going to split his wig now. That wasn't no joke. I couldn't imagine. I don't know how in the world he got. I'm glad his physique was a little different back then. He was able to escape my prowess. Chris was younger. Chris snuck up. Chris was like a sniper. I was playing one day, and he took a piece of concrete, broke off of a sidewalk with rocks in it, and hurled it. And, and he should have been a major league pitcher because he caught me dead center back of the head. And when I shook the the semi-comatose cobwebs out of my, my head, uh, I tracked him for days, literally. But there's no difference in Lot and Abram's men because it was over things. You know what kids usually fighting over? They can have all but one toy. Come on, nursery workers, Sunday school They can have all but one toy, and what toy do they want? The one somebody else has. Now, let's be honest. How does that apply to us? It does, doesn't it? We're blessed. God gives us. God showers us with with more than we deserve. Let's let's, let's not miss out here. Get this point. We all deserve hell. All of us. You you may be good in your mind. But there's no, nothing good about mankind apart from Jesus Christ. We deserve hell. We deserve judge, judgment. And yet we want to fight like it belongs to us. Corey Tinboom, that godly woman whose family was arrested, and all of them died in the concentration camp but her because they hid Jews during World War II from the Nazis. She once penned these words, I've learned to hold all things loosely. That way it doesn't hurt as bad when God takes them from me. Church, it's a compromised faith when our priorities are askew and all we can see is things. It was a compromised faith in damaging Decisions. Look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. What damaging decisions have you made? 
What decisions are you borderline on that could cost you dearly? Listen, there's two decisions that believers make. If you're lost, the first decision you make as the Spirit draws you is heaven or hell. But if we're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, we never have to make that decision again. We never have to go to bed or get up wondering, am I going to heaven? I, may, I try to minister all the time. And one thing in Haiti, a lot of people you, you witness to, and they say, are you, you say, are you saved? And they said, well, uh, I, I was. I said, well, if you was, you are. And they struggle with eternal security. And we see doctrines that diminish the strength of the Lord. Listen, I want to remind you, if God saved you, God keeps you. You can't save yourself, you can't keep yourself. And so understand that we trust Him as our Lord and Savior. We confess Him as our Lord and Savior. But then our decision moves from heaven or hell to heaven or earth. And that's the decision that Lot had to make. Will I seek those things which are above, or will I choose to live according to this world? I'm afraid people sitting here even today may have chosen the earth. I want to be cool. I want to be popular. I want to be loved. I want to be smart. I want to have a lot of money. I, I, I want to fit in. Church, we have a choice. Heaven or earth. Lot made damaging decisions. Abram went and dwelt in the land of Canaan. We sing songs about Canaan, don't we? Living in Canaan now, and all that, but we never sing about, oh, oh, we're living in the plain now. We do not talk about the places that Lot chose. And notice what he said. His spiritual answer was, oh, it's even as the garden of the Lord. But his true answer was, it's like the land of Egypt. God never said anything about the Hebrews living continually in Egypt. That's not the land of promise. That was not where God was going to lead Abram and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes. It was the choice of this world and not the next. Oh, listen. If you're tired of living in contentment, that is really, listen, we are living in one of the most miserable generations of all time. We're not happy with anything. We're upset, we're stressed, we're anxious, we're just beside ourselves, worried about anything and everything. It's because we've, been con we've learned to grow content in the worry. We've learned to become content in our own anxiety. We've learned to become content in all the misery that is the world. And we brag about it. Oh, I'm just so tired. I'm so... Listen, we sound, we sound like Eeyore. We're just, oh, I'm just poor, pitiful me. We need a little more tigger in our life. Right? Tears bounce. Christians ought to have a little bounce in their step. They ought to have a little joy in their speech. Christians ought to look different, sound like different, eat different, be different. Because Christ is different and he's made us different. Amen? 
to com compromise faith, but it's a lingering denial. Look in chapter 19. A lingering denial. It said in verse 16a, and while he lingered, how long, how long will you halt between decisions? How long will you ride that fence hoping that God will just wink at your lack of, listen, in not making a decision, you've made a decision. Right? Right? So I don't know if I need to go to Sunday school. Well, you made a decision. I don't need to study the Word of God. So, well, I'm not really cut out. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that God wants me to do this. Or God, so you are deciding you're not going to be obedient to God's call on your life. Well, I'm not good at talking in front of people. When did ever God say, I needed to see your resume? I need you to understand something. Just like he did with Moses, and just like he did with Abram, and just like he did with Elijah, and just like he did with Peter and Andrew and Nathaniel and Paul and Barnabas and Matt. God writes your resume, not you. And when we wake up, we'll stand up and we'll see that it's time to stop lingering. We must make a decision. First of all, he said in verse 18, And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Now you understand what's happening. There, Lot is living in the very throes of a very, very evil city. It'd be like living in the most liberal sections of Savannah or Five Points Atlanta or San Francisco or New York City, anything and everything you could imagine, like living in Las Vegas. What do we call that? Sin City. Well, that's where Lot lived. And so God says, I'm going to destroy it. Abram even prayed him. He said, well, if there's 50, will you destroy a righteous? Okay, I want 40, 30, all the way down 10. He couldn't find 10. It was a sinful city. It was a carnal community. What does that mean? It was a community that was all about the flesh. What made the flesh feel good? And they, they soothed each other's egos as well as helped fulfill one another's passions. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications or evil lifestyles corrupts good manners young people you ever heard anybody say you run with dogs you get fleas you run with filth you'll become filthy you say well I don't talk that way but if you entertain it and you don't stand up and walk away from it, it begins to creep into your spirit. Huh? There's a lot of people in prison today. They didn't rob the bank, but they went with the ones who did. 
There's a lot of people who are living in broken homes. People whose spouse has run out with them because they convinced themselves, I'll change them, I'll fix them, and they entered into a relationship unequally yoked. There are people who have bought into the idea that, listen, God just wants me to be happy. Not if it's at the price of walking with Him. Now, if we'll seek God's will, He'll give us the desires of our heart. But isn't it amazing how our the desires of our heart matches up with the desires of God's heart when we get right and go back to the altar. We will not seek that which is against God's will when we're in tune with Him. They lived in a carnal community because they lingered there. They just can't, listen, Lot saw it for what it was. We read it back in chapter 13. It, it didn't become sinful after Lot was there. It was like that when he moved there. Maybe you got a, well, I got a good deal on it. Please don't get mad at me right here. But I really don't care. Because I've been there. There's a lot of people's relationship that has become a miserable contentment at the cost of a camper, a boat, a travel ball team, or the recreation of vacation. And all the things, the world. And we say, oh, but I, I'm a witness when I'm there. Why? Because you hang some Bible thing. Listen, people see. People see you for who you are. And if there's not a consistency in your walk, there's not a faithfulness in your step, I'm here to tell you, listen, I, I realized that one Sunday morning, broke down in front of a primitive Methodist church that just happened not to have service that Sunday. And we were off doing our thing, me and all my buddies on that weekend. And that just happened to be the place where we parked. Because they weren't having church. We didn't mean any disrespect. And I had no problem out of that truck, but oh, it wouldn't crank. And I looked down at my watch, and it was 10 o'clock. Back in the old days, before everybody got hip, we still had Sunday school at 10 a.m. Maybe we need to go back to the old times. And God said, where are you supposed to be? You can go to church every Sunday. Now, I don't want to make it just about church, but make no mistake about it. God says you don't go to church, you don't worship, you don't care about being with fellow believers, then your heart's not right. Don't be like them. That's what he said in Hebrews 10. Don't be like the world that does not come together. Hear me today. It was a carnal community, but it was a corroded family. Look in verse 7, chapter 19. And I said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. What had happened was these angels had come. And it's kind of intriguing to me. When they came to Abram before they went to Sodom, it records in that context that Abram met with these two men. He saw them on a personal level, but Lot being so separated in his miserable contentment, he saw them as angels. Now, Abram understood them to be the angelic beings, but he had a secure relationship where he was right with God. Now these angels have come, and the world says, hey, you got some visitors, send them out to us. And Lot was so enthralled 
and so convicted he was willing to sacrifice his own daughters. And so they said, oh, send them out here. Send them out that we may have our way with them. And he called out to the guys that were willing to abuse his children, to abuse his guests. He said, brethren, this is, Hebrew literally means brother. It was a corroded family network. Listen, we have, uh, I love my family. Do I agree with everything they do? No. And listen, church, it doesn't make you love your family anymore if you accept their sinful ways. It means you really don't love them if you're not willing to tell them the truth. Somebody say, amen. Speak the truth in love. But I've seen people change their whole doctrine because they didn't want to upset somebody. Huh? Because their child started doing something, all of a sudden they're totally opposite what they've always lived for. Church, God's word hadn't changed. It was a carnal community. And in this lingering, it had become a corroded family. George Washington said... Associate yourself with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation. For it is better to be alone than in bad company. Well, I don't want to be alone. I, I just don't have any friends. I, I, I don't know what to tell you except this. Listen, George Washington was pretty smart right here. And you need to wise up and realize that if you're running with the world, they'll be the first ones to run out on you. And if you don't have anything but worldly friends, it would be better to live alone than to run with the world. Church, we have corroded our families by bringing stuff in, by allowing it to penetrate our homes and our communities. It became a worthless witness. So they said, you better get your family out. God's going to destroy it. Verse 14, and Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his son-in-laws. In other words, they said he seemed like a crazy man. When you live like the world, you act like the world, don't expect your kids to act differently just because you said so. You don't know why kids quit church after they graduate high school. You really want to know why? You don't know why they quit when they get to college and they get away from mom and dad? You don't know why? Because they saw mom and dad many times not all of them, but many times they saw mom and dad say, hey, it's all right to miss church if it's more important. You know, if you've got a big ball game, if you've got, you know, a big trip, if you've got this, you've got that, and all the other things that can come in our way. And so when they get to that point, they say, well, I just deem this more important. We've taught them that anything can be more important than God. And the truth is nothing, nothing is ever more important than God, Right? Now our schedules change, and listen, things, things change. Philip, now i give you the opposite spectrum. Philip, in Acts, had a thriving ministry, thriving ministry. And yet God called him away 
from that thriving ministry to reach one Ethiopian eunuch. So everything doesn't always make sense on the outside. And God will send people places at certain times. I get that. But we better make sure that we're not building a worthless witness. See, Lot's words in his walk didn't match. Oh, I believe in God, but his life said, no, I don't. And while he lingered, you see, it was a willful heart. He said in verse 15, when the morning arose, he took, uh, then the angels hastened light, hurried him up, saying, Arise, take your wife, your daughters, which are here, lest you be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand. A funny true story. And a blessing. In 2005, in June of 2005, I was in Nashville, Tennessee for the Southern Baptist Convention. And about 10 o'clock that morning, my youngest brother Chris called me. He said, hey, didn't know you'd be on some kind of news or somebody around there talking about something. He said, I just want to let you know mom and dad's house caught on fire. I said, okay. He says, all good. It was saved. It, wasn't, it didn't burn the ground. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, there was a storm blew through that morning, this morning, about 6 o'clock, and lightning struck the peak of the house. And when it did, it literally, in the power of that electricity in that lightning bolt, it burnt the nails through that attached the double two-before jack that held up the ridge beam. And so when the lightning struck, it woke Dad up, but he just kind of rolled over. And, uh, you know, it was a storm, so they wasn't in any hurry to get up. They were retired. And so they laid there for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, my dad said he heard me. He said, well, what in the world? He got up, and when he got up, he looked around, and then he kind of sensed smelled a little bit of smoke, and he opened the front door, and he walked outside, and it had already burnt through the roof. Flame was shooting out the roof about this tall, right where the lightning struck. What had happened where it burnt through those nails holding that wood, when the wood burnt a little bit, took the pressure off that about 16, 14-foot-long double two-before fell right across the, the ceiling uh, joist. And when it did, it woke Dad up. Well, he went back in, told my mother, hey, get up, the house's on fire. Call, they call, she called 911, and they grabbed a couple of things, and Mama said, and I grabbed my pocket, I talked to her later that day, and I said, Mom, you all right? She said, yeah, everything's good, and they saved everything, nothing's hurt. You know, it's just, we're, we're going to be out a while, and uh, it's smoky, everything, the water, and she said, but I did the craziest thing. I said, what'd you do? She said, well, I put on something decent. She said, I thought, what am I going to do? There's time. And your daddy said, hurry up. Something could happen. She said, so I reached over, grabbed my pocketbook, and went to the refrigerator and got me a Diet Coke. <laughs> she said, so I'm standing out here watching with my pocketbook, drinking a Diet Coke. She said, isn't that stupid? I said, well, in the matter of panic, but you know what? It was kind of stupid. The house burned down. You need a Diet Coke. They sell them at every store. 
Grab your, my baby picture, mother. You want something priceless? Come on. A Diet Coke? Your world can be collapsing around you. And what are you grabbing for today? The world's on fire, and what are we grabbing hold to? Trophies? Certificates? How many likes we get on Facebook? How many friends we've got on Snap or on Instagram? What really matters when the world's on fire, church? It was a willful heart. They had to grab him. The world is on fire. Lot knew better. And the angels had to grab a hold of him. Jonathan Edwards, that great preacher of sinners in the hands of an angry God, that great theologian wrote, Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Put it in a more modern vernacular. Live like you're dying. Because the truth is you are. It was a willful heart. He lingered because his will was still self-centered. Oh, but I'm going to lose land. Oh, but I'm gonna... maybe God will just kind of kill them and leave me alone. The angel said, no, he's going to wipe the whole place off the face of the map. It is believed today by Christian archaeologists and historians that Sodom and Gomorrah lays at the bottom of the Dead Sea where nothing lives. It's just a wasteland. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth. It's 1,300 feet below sea level. Everything runs into it. Nothing runs out. And so what did he do? Even in rescue, Lot had a will that was not surrendered to God. He said, I tell you what, God, instead of going over here or going over there, Lord, you know the, they'll fall on me. You just, God just got you out of a place being raised by hellfire and brimstone, and you're worrying about some kind of animal going to get you in the mountains. What are you living afraid of? You say, oh, I believe in God except this part of my life. I believe that God will help me on my job, but not in my family. Help me in my family, but not on my job. You are holding things back. You know what he said? Why don't you just let me go over here to this little, little city called Zoar? You know what Zoar stands for? Small or ignominious. Literally, that which holds no significance. Are you settling today? Are you settling with a God that's bigger than this world? Are you settling when God of creation wants to bless you beyond measure and you're willing to live in Zoar? I want you to see, Lot was content with his compromised faith because he had no altar. He was content with a lingering denial. He just kept lingering. How, many, how, how long will you keep lingering? I don't know about you, but I still, I read the obituaries. People die every week, don't they? Day in, day out. And they're all not 98 years old. Some are 27, some are 38, some are 12. 
death is a reality. We must stop lingering. But I want you to notice, even in the face of all of this, God's grace being applied. Said in verse 16b. The Lord being merciful unto me, they brought him forth and set him outside the city. And he kept on. And even then, said in verse 29, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Look at me this morning. Remember what we talked about at the start? Lot, I mean, Abram praying. What did he pray for? When God says, you know, Abram is a faithful man. I need to tell him. That's what he said. I need to tell him what we're about to do. And so he sent these angels. He sent these men to Abram and said, I'm fixing to destroy the city where Lot's at. And Lot began to pray. He prayed for his family. Oh, God, protect them. Oh, God, reserve them. Oh, God, if it be your will. But God still destroyed it. But it says here, he remembered Abraham and his faithfulness and delivered Lot. You may still be breathing today because somebody's praying for you. And you think that somehow you have appeased God, you have missed God's wrath, that God just ignored. Listen, God may be honoring somebody else. We need to wake up and realize where grace may be applied. Grace is bigger than our past. I don't know about you, but I don't like a lot of my past. I like to think of my future a lot more than I like to think of my past. I had two high school mates pass away in a matter of five days a couple weeks ago. A boy that I was real close with in middle school, and another girl I knew, one from a heart attack, one from cancer, 52 years old. And it seems like we can't go but a few months without hearing about another. Now, I had... 360-something in my graduating class. So statistically, it's going to happen, but it's happening more frequently. And I don't know all the details, but I know that I've not seen them since high school. And I was sharing that with someone, and I, the reality came to me, when he died, he probably still thought of me living like I did then. And I'll stand accountable for that. Because I didn't live for the Lord in high school. Listen to me, young people. You may put your green shirts on. You may go to camp. And you may please mom and dad what they see. But inside and behind and when nobody else is looking, your character's a lie. Your walk and your words don't match up. I'm here to tell you. You may fool your mama. You may fool your daddy. You may fool your wife. You may fool your husband. You may fool your preacher. You may fool your community. But you'll never fool God. 
God's bigger than our past. Give it to him. Lay it on the altar and move on. He's bigger than our future, doubts and all. Doubts and all. I, but I don't know what will happen if I teach. I don't know what will happen. I want to be in the church. Listen, I'd like to be preached to sometimes too, but you know what? Nobody else would be up here. Why well, don't I can't keep the nursery? I don't want to teach something. I don't want to stop with the I don'ts, I wants. And start saying, What's your will, God? You might be surprised how blessed you are. He's bigger than your doubts, your future. Then I want you to realize something. Lot failed in every way, yet God's grace was greater still. It said in 2 Peter 2, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. I've got news for you. There's consequences coming. Luke chapter 17 said, Remember Lot's wife. She became a monument to sin. Right? For he said, Get out of this city and don't look back. And there, and when you read it, it wasn't she just glanced over her shoulder. It wasn't that it was just like, you know, when you're playing hide and go seek and you just... You forget for just a minute, you open your eyes real quick, but you close. It wasn't like that. If you read it in its context, it literally means she had a lasting stare. She looked back and thought, oh, oh, what I'm going to miss. Oh, my home. Oh, where my kids grew up. Oh, all the precious things that I remember. Isn't it amazing sometimes how our memory forgets all the bad stuff? But in that, she disobeyed God. And in that lasting stare, as she turned around and looking back, she became a pillar of salt. The Bible says a man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, has no business in the kingdom of God. He failed in every way. Yet God's grace was greater still. Look at the consequences. He ended up with a dead wife. His daughters were very evil and sinful and I'll just let you read about that story but in the end you know who they gave birth to the Moabites and the Ammonites what a lasting sad evil legacy all because of Lot's miserable contentment I want to ask you today as they come to the instruments are you content? Are you content to live in a sin that is destroying you? Are you content in living a broken down, 
less than victorious life? Are you content that this is all God wants at East Side? That this is all God wants in your family? Are you content that your kids can ride the fence of the world and the church because you, I'm going to tell you, they'll be gone. They'll be gone. Are you content with your relationship with your wife? Are you content with your relationship to your husband? Are you content with your relationship with your siblings, with your family that are lost and on their way to hell? And your witness being tainted by the things of this world, what they see. They may see you go to church on Sunday, but they may hear nothing but filth Monday through Saturday. They see a lack of example of altar living. They don't see anything about you being at the house of God. Lot vexed, the Bible says, his righteous soul. What have you vexed yourself with? A lack of faith, a lack of believing. You started changing and saying, well, I'm smarter now. I know more now. Listen, I'm going to tell you, you're not too smart for God. God is bigger, God is better, God is stronger, and God loves you today. And God does not want you to live in the filth that is Sodom and Gomorrah. We are living in the same world today. All around us is Sodom and Gomorrah. Will we be willing to stand up and say, I refuse to be content in this mess. I will stand up, I will speak up, I will step out in faith to be everything God wants me to be. I need to be saved. I need to be convinced. I need to be walking in servitude to the Lord. If you need to come, now's the time. Stand and come. Come with an immediacy. Come with an urgency. Don't make him pull. Don't linger. Come. Come to the Lord.